We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey guys, it's Monday morning, which means Andrew Claudio is back with a brand new quick programming note. This is part one of three. Uh, cap or no cap, re-sign or don't re-sign Mitchell Robinson. Here in part one, um, John and Jeremy catch up on the week. I jumped on late for a reason you're going to hear in a little bit. Um, I'm okay as of right now, by the way. I'm okay. More on that later. Um, they react to World Wide West being the next representative in the lottery on Tuesday. Then I join and give the Nilakina Hive their their flowers. And I guess John does the same as I guess we owe Frank an apology because we didn't think he walked on water. Although being facetious aside, I do think he found a role on a team and I'm happy to see Frank finding a role on a team. All that to say, we talk about some news from the past week and then we dive in to the benefits, the not so benefits to Mitchell Robinson. Jeremy lays out um, the type of player he is, type of contract he could command some of the uh cleaning the glass stats a very heavy cleaning the glass episode um here in part one part two is available on this feed now so if you haven't listened to those to part two or part three you're right in line listen to part one and then just refresh your podcast feed and part two and three should be available shameless plug we dropped a patreon full episode a, a bonus preview that is the full episode um, of these playoff reactions that we're doing john and i reacted to game seven of the suns and mavericks as well as game seven of the bucks and 
uh, Celtics that happened on Sunday. Um, we gave it's about a 40 minute episode, our, our reactions to the, both of the series and both of these games and what they mean for some historical context, what a 64 win team losing at home like that is like, what this does to Luca's legacy. And oh my gosh, the comp that John threw at, out. Uh, just go listen if you haven't yet is what I'm going to say. John has a take about Luka Doncic and where he puts him. And I don't know. If I agree, but I think you guys should hear it. So if you haven't yet, it's available on this podcast feed. It dropped at midnight. Obviously, this episode is dropping a little later. I needed to have a chance to edit it. Um, so check that out on the podcast feed. It's available for everybody to listen to. And if you want to listen to more of those Patreon reaction episodes, head on over to the Knicks Film School's Patreon. For just 7 bucks a month, you get access to our entire podcast library, as well as the video as well. Okay, all that to say. Here's part one. Cap or no cap? Resign or don't resign? Mitchell Robinson. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Boy, Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you uh, at 2.16 uh, Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. So there will be two Game 7s played in the NBA by the time you listen to this. However, we do not know the results of them yet. I don't think those results uh, impact the Knicks too much, uh, if at all. Although I'm sure we, we could touch on that briefly. Uh, but first, of course... As we always do, say hi to my he's always my better half, but it strikes me in recent weeks that really like if we're on equal footing most of the time, I just turn into basically a useless lump on a log during this time of the year. No, which is no, no, it's just it's something that I have to I have to it's I mean, it comes up in therapy, obviously a lot, but it is something that I have to wrestle with and, and grapple with on my own in my own way on my own time. But nonetheless, I keep. I just like to see him shine. Jeremy Cohen. Well, thank you, John. I, listen, here's the thing, right? Like, I know what I'm good at. And it's this one area of expertise. Like, that I know I can, I can really, like, hunker down and do well. And then you, you've got so many more areas that you, like, all the light that touches kind of thing. Like, you like can, the light you can, from the window behind me? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, it, it transcends closed, different topics. Way. Yeah. So, and like, also the fact that I could never write a newsletter like that. I just couldn't do it. I don't have the energy or the capacity. Like, well, let me give me a you. week. Give me one week to prepare a presentation. I could do it. But a newsletter, like at least three times a week, no shot in hell. With fake, children fake and, Detroit and Pistons. Wife, no. Fake Detroit Pistons trades. I got, I got you. Um, <laughs> but it's all, all it that. gives the people something to think about. So, with, you know, it's a two-headed, a two-pronged attack. We're fine. We're good. Give It's the- beautiful. Give the people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking, so we'll get through some, some quick news and notes and then we'll go on to this week's cap or no cap. Um, speaking of giving the people what they want, I mean, I, I, let me tell you this. Okay. So the news is that the Knicks have named their lottery representative. Like this shit matters at all, but whatever. Um, of course, we're going to talk about it. It is William Worldwide West, which I got to tell you, my first instinct when I saw it, it was like, this guy feels like someone or he seems like someone that um, has had a, a, a blessed life, a charmed life. 
like he, good fortune seems to follow him around. Why the hell not? Right. The hustler, I, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, like he, he, he's gold in so many different ways. He's gold. He, you know, like that's the thing where, um, Eddie Curry, I know he and his wife, Patrice, they're doing they have a podcast and I read yes. the article that Ian Bagley had that kind of took a lot of what they were saying and, and, um, compiled it and talking about worldwide West, I thought was a nice renewed approach to it because it's like, look, the things we've been seeing the last couple of years, it's up and down, but I know that people are very eager to get stars in the building who isn't but it's also you it's the things that we don't see and things we don't know that because they're out of sight out of mind we think like well they're useless they're not doing anything and they very easily could be but the timing's just not right and when the time is right you hope that's when they use their gravitas and their connections and provide a true winning team but it's like the time from now until then where you just could be like okay you're just getting by on on what like personality but they're not. They, they are trying to build a team from the ground up using the draft and then using the trade market and free agency to kind of supplement that. Where they go from here, that's that's the big question. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be too, too uh, um, uh, dismissive of anything that anyone else has done, but you could actually argue based on the available reporting that the most significant thing that has happened since the Leon Rose regime came aboard is uh we we have to attribute it to World Wide West because he was the one jumping up and down on the on the table there for Emmanuel quickly and like you know you I could I think it's an argument that like he's the best thing that's happened to the next since uh since that regime took over. Um speaking of stars by the way Jeremy Cohen do you know where I was at right before I came here? Think um I am the dad of a, a kindergartner where might I have been? Gymnastics? I was at gymnastics oh, like a couple hours ago. And then after that, we had to shuffle off to a child's birthday party. Ah, I want the local parks in the area. Um, there were two children, two, two young boys wearing NBA jerseys at the park. Um, one of them was a Philadelphia Jimmy Butler jersey, which I was like, he was only there for a year, right? Not even. Not e- yeah, not even a year. Okay, so. Uh, good job by that kid. I think though, I I've, I saw correctly. He was going over to a dad. I'm assuming it was his dad who's wearing a Phillies cap. So maybe they're just insane Philly fans, which good job by them, I guess. Uh, great week for them. And uh, the other, the other child was wearing a Donovan Mitchell Jersey. I, which I thought was like, I don't know. I don't know if I've coming off of last week's uh, cap or no cap. I, just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Was it a customized New York Knicks Donovan Mitchell jersey <laughs> or a Miami Heat Donovan Mitchell jersey? No, it was the the traditional jazz uh, jazz note um, mm. edition of the of the jersey. But you know, I, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, you you laid out every possible logical reason why it is probably not the time for the Knicks to trade for Donovan Mitchell, and yet, and yet, seeing that kid in that jersey, I'm like, you know what? He's a star. Yeah. New York likes stars traditionally. Yeah. No, it's funny because I was listening to the pod that you and Tom did. And obviously you touched base on Donovan Mitchell. And I know you guys were talking about the, like the choosing beggars idea. And the first thought that kind of came to my mind was like, like, am I, or just generally like personally, am I begging for stars? Cause like, yeah, of course, like we want stars in the building, but it's like, there's also the time where it works because the Knicks could go out and they could get a star. 
like think about how much they'd have to give up, but they could get one. It's just a matter of like, if it all works out and comes into plan and, and all those things. But I wasn't like, um, it wasn't like a shot or anything. It was more like, am I choosing? I don't, I don't think so, but I don't know. I think you're being realistic. I think, I I think you're being realistic in that we, we, and we, I think we were, Maybe not you, a lot of us, me, certainly me, and a lot of other fans were guilty of just like uh, riding the wave from last season into this season and not keeping or not worrying. So maybe not, not keeping an eye on the big picture, but just not actively worrying about the big picture. You know, like you don't win in the league if you don't have stars. I mean, look at look at all the teams that are still playing, like all due respect to the Memphis Grizzlies and their whatever it was, 39 point win over a Warriors team that just didn't didn't show up for a game. Uh, that was interesting, but yeah, I mean, you need stars to win and, uh, and on and on we go. Can we welcome in Andrew who just, who sh- he was a little late. We won't hold it against them. No. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> no one would have known either, which is the literally nobody part. would have known. <laughs> Thank you. I love when you take people <laughs> behind the scenes for things that they could have completely avoided, but what's up? It's the least I could have done. Um, nothing. Uh, it's just, I just want to say hi. 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 How are you guys? How is how is your last twenty four hours <laughs> better than yours? Better yes, than yours. very much so. And now we have to provide context for that. Um, let's just say my fiance and I are in quarantine. I'm fine. So you guys do the math on there that. And because we believe in science, I believe she will be okay. But she will. Yes. Shout out you. to Roe. Yes. Yeah, shout out to Roe. Um, we will be okay. All right. Um. I think that anything else we need to touch on before we, we go to this week's cap or no cap? I think that's about it. I think that covers it. There's, uh, there really wasn't a whole ton to talk about this week. That's I'm excited for the draft lottery so we can get it over with, but also so we can then move on to other topics, generally speaking. Yes, Andrew. I may have one thing, Ooh. and this may be something that you guys talked about that I'll cut if you had already talked about before I got on. What's that? But John, did you... Bo- Apologize on behalf of both of us to the Frank Nilakina. Oh my God. Because apparently, when someone scores six points in 60 minutes, we owe them an apology because I'm the defensive player we always said he was, you know? I'm very, very happy that Frank Nilakina has found a home where he can be an incredibly valuable eighth man in a situation that is quite literally perfect for him, where it's a, it's a situation where he doesn't have to worry about scoring at all. That's the highest usage guy in the entire league doing the heavy lifting alongside a couple other very high usage guards. And he could just basically be like a free safety. It, listen, it works. It's a great role for him and he's valuable. And they, uh, I don't know if the series is still going on without Frank. So, you know, you need all, we need, you need all your, your rotation guys. If you're going to beat a team like Phoenix and he's part of the rotation. So, um, Yes, I am sorry to the Frank Nilakina. What's left of the hive, man? Yes. You guys are tried and true. So that's all. Seconded on that apology with the same reluctance to like. So so Luca had nothing to do with their comeback, right? It was they inserted Frank into the starting or into the rotation, and then oh, what do you know? Look, <laughs> he, but look, I, I think that the more realistic of us. So after the first couple of years and it was pretty clear, like, okay, this guy's not, you know, we, we, we probably messed up by not taking the, the Mitchell kid. Um, like we always knew he would have a role on the right team in the league and he's found that role and it's a great job by Dallas. Great job by him, you know, seeking out that opportunity. Great job by Jason kid. Um, 
you know, so great, you know, good job all around. I mean, it, it, again, it takes everybody to, to beat a team like Phoenix and I will certainly be, be rooting for Dallas later today, which if, of course, by the time you hear this, that result will have already been decided. So well done, Jeremy, you. if you would like to, I guess you're technically the KFS member that represents the Nokia hive. You let us know if our apology was formally accepted or not. Sure. Listen again, like I, from what, from what I saw, it was uh, a group of people who was very happy that Frank has a role and is doing something, which was like something that I had been trying to promote as well. Like there is an NBA player in there. Mm-hmm. I How, did too. I don't sure. think, yeah, I don't think I'm any just, of us said that. It, no, yes. Of course not. Yeah. But it was, yeah. it's more just generally speaking, like we can, the excitement people can just enjoy it, but I can understand why those who were ready to move past Frank, then seeing it like, again, he's not doing what, a lottery pick should have done and all that. And I, and I totally get that. Um, and that's why when we had the debate we had back in what, August or so over Frank, yeah. I, I can't remember. Like the whole process was like, not so much the, the player, but the pick and how that all factored into it. And you can say that the production you got for the eighth pick overall wasn't there, but you can still get a good player in there. And I, it's a whole thing where, I just want people to who who love seeing Frank succeed, enjoy Frank succeeding, and the people who don't care enough about Frank maybe just then don't care about it. Like we don't have to make it a big thing again. Yeah, if you love I, him, just love him. If you don't like him, like don't like him. We can just move on and not I, have to make it all a rehashing something. I will. I will go back though to, and this is a debate. I mean, we could have a thousand podcasts about it and it's not going to make a difference because we're never going to know the answer. I will go back to something that I personally believe, which is that look, stars are going to be stars regardless of where they're drafted. True busts are going to be true busts regardless of where they're drafted. I do think that there is a subset of players in that in-between zone where, where they end up could dictate if they get, if they finish on the, you know, the 90th percentile of their outcome or they finished on the and the ten percent of their ten percentile of their you know possible outcomes, and I do think that the way Frank was handled here for a variety of reasons, which we certainly don't have to rehash, and we won't push it. He's certainly in my mind a lot closer to it was the ten percentile outcome by the time he was he moved on um, from the Knicks. What is the 90th percentile outcome of Frank Nilakina? Again, I, I have no idea, and we could sit here and we could talk till we're blue in the face. But I, I you know, it's something I'm, I'm curious about. This Andrew. sounds like somebody that is preparing themselves for next year when Kevin Knox finds a role on a team and we have to apologize to his hive. Team. <laughs> if you are a member of the Kevin Knox hive, I really, we all want to hear. I tread, really, tread lightly. I want to hear about from you. you. And it's, it's going to be at Andrew, uh, <laughs> Claudia, Andrew <laughs> J. J. Claudia. Claudia. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Direct all of your yes. thoughts, please. Jeremy. Well, yes. Speaking of uh, a 2018 New York Knicks draft selection. There you go. I figured, (laughs) you know it, baby. I figured we could talk about Mitchell Robinson this week. Um, Mitch is such a fascinating topic to me. And if you have listened to our podcast, you know that I'm not the highest on Mitchell Robinson. I like him. I think he's fine. Uh, There's certainly positives that he adds to. But I think that there also comes a point where the concept of potential can only go so far. And when you keep thinking of 
like reasons for why he's being held back and not looking at the reasons for why maybe he isn't doing those things, that's when you kind of run into the reality of it, which is that Mr. Robinson's a really good run, a rim runner. And I don't know how much more his game is going to expand past this point. With that said, he's 24 years old. The Knicks have not built great teams around him. Um, the good season they had, he wasn't active for it because he was injured for 41 games. Yeah. Is that because he was gone where they, it was like, hey, we can find someone to replace him? Or is it just certainly like it just happened that he was out? And if he had played, the Knicks would have still done well. I don't really know. I, I don't think there's a way for us to tell, but I do think that oftentimes, you know, when you keep expecting the leap for a player and it never happens, it's not that players can't develop later in time. It's just that maybe it just doesn't happen. Maybe it's, it's not a leap. Maybe he is closer to his ceiling than we would like to believe, but it's the whole thought process of like, what goes on with the Knicks, what goes on with Mitchell Robinson, all of that. And so we're, we're going to talk about the contract a little bit, but I also don't even want to like go too far into that. And we're, we're going to do something else. But before I say what that is, John, I want to turn it back to you and get your collective thoughts. My collective thoughts on, on Mitch are pretty simple at this point, which is that, you know, I like how you brought up the idea of ceiling and like, when, when can a player get there? Because I think you get to a certain point and a player just kind of is what he is. And the ceiling that you're talking about is just consistency, which if there's one word that I think we could most associate with Mitchell Robinson through four years in the NBA, for me, it's consistency and, and occasionally lack thereof. I think if you're a Mitchell Robinson fan, I think what the biggest, uh, arrow, strongest arrow in your, in your quiver is that we saw more consistency from him this season than we had at any point in time leading up to this year. Part of that is due to the fact that you just mentioned, he missed most of the, the previous season. Um, and not only was he more consistent, the things that he is good at, he got better at. Um, where I think the conversation becomes a little dicier is imagining or, or thinking that Mitchell Robinson is ever going to materially differ from the archetype of the player that we have already seen, because the guy that we've seen is pretty much the guy, again, he could be more consistent. He could be better at the things he is already good at. But like, if you're sitting around being like, Oh, well, you know, one of these years, Mitch is going to start, you know, getting three, four assists a game, or, you know, he's going to, you know, that corner three is right around the corner. Like I, I'm not really waiting for that. Um, you know, I think even there's a limitation to how versatile he is, is defensively. And like, I think the fact that there are like, I mean, how many true like rim protecting big man that can't be played off the floor on defense uh, in the game today, again, against the right opponent. Maybe there's only two or three of those teams in the league at any given time. But like those, those are the teams you tend to have to go through to, to make it all the way to the championship. I don't even know if, if that ceiling is really there. And the last thing I'll say, you know, again, we're going to see Phoenix play a game seven after you listen to this. Um, like the, the notion of if you're, if you're going to have a big man that isn't a Carl Anthony Towns, that isn't a, 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 a Nikola Jokic, that isn't a Joel Embiid, that person needs to be able to punish switches in a way that Mitchell Robinson has not shown any capability of doing it. I don't think he ever will. That's the only other thing I want to say. Absolutely. And I think that's 
very well put. And here's the bottom line, right? I'm I'm going to talk about some numbers that I think are relevant to Mitchell Robinson. And the nice thing is, as Knicks fans, we know a lot about what Mitch does. It's not like I necessarily have to go further in depth into some of the things that maybe we don't know because we don't see him every single game that he plays. But then it's also kind of the prevailing thought of, well, I can't really dissect the film in a way that Benji or, or Tom can. And that's fine because I'm not necessarily looking to do like the deepest of dives into a player, but I want to show the things that I feel are the most relevant. And I'm not even really going to bury the lead here. I'm going to go straight into it. The most relevant thing for me when it comes to Mitchell Robinson is his usage rate. <laughs> and not just his usage rate, but also the usage rate of the New York Knicks. So this past season, the Knicks had until Robinson ranked in the third percentile in usage rate. You can't write this shit. What we're, 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 we're Jeremy's about to say, you literally can't write. You this. can't. Taj Gibson was in the second percentile. Nerlens Noel was in the first percentile, and Jericho Sims was in the first percentile. Shout out, by the way, cleaning the glass. Uh, yes, yes. This. Yeah. this is going to be a very heavy cleaning the glass uh, yeah. segment. So clean the glass. Thank you. But if you're watching this and you're looking at these four names and the, the image that has all of them. This isn't just like me going to the Knicks page and sorting by usage rating and seeing what percentile the Knicks are. No, 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 my friends. This is the usage rankings for the entire NBA. For big men, yes. For big men. There were 111 big men, categorized as bigs, who played at least 500 minutes. Mitchell Robinson was 108th. Taj Gibson, 109th. Nerlens Noel was 110th. Jericho Sims was 111th. Why did I use 500 minutes as a starter, you may ask? Because Jericho Sims also finished with a little over 500 minutes. So I wanted to include him in this as well to just show that the Knicks have a type. They like centers who don't do a whole lot. They're they are guys who are pretty much play finishers. And if you listen to Fred Katz uh, coming onto this podcast or re- read any of his content, you would know that that's exactly right. The Knicks just do not like involving their bigs in the offense. The question for me is, is that mostly a um, Tom Thibodeau thing? Is it a front office thing? And honestly, I think it's a collection of both. I think that if you look back at the, the uh, bigs that Walt Perrin has drafted, right? Especially in Utah, um, Rudy Gobert. He's a yeah. rim running five who you hope is good in the defensive end. Um, Derek Very Favors, low usage in his own right, by the way. We correct. Say. Well, no, no. Uh, Rico Bear has had a high usage thing. That's the difference. He's been very yeah. high usage lately. And I think that's also maybe a problem for Utah on the offensive end, even though they've been top 10 in, in offensive rating for the last three years. But he's his usage. I mean, when I say low usage it, for where he occupies in terms of his salary and in terms of his stature around the league, when you compare his usage rate to, again, the guys that I mentioned before, your catcher, Jokic is your beads. Like it's not in that. It's not quite that high, but it's higher than it should be. Um, That's fair. You know, like um, the Jazz had Derek Favors. Derek Favors was not drafted by the Jazz, but he was traded to the Jazz um, very early. Like he never even played a game for the team he was drafted by. Um, And then I think that offseason he was dealt or the point being is that Walt Perrin clearly saw and the Jazz saw what they liked and he fit the archetype. That made sense. Tony Bradley, uh, Udoka Azabuke. Like there is a distinct type of player that Walt Perrin likes. And when you look at Mitchell Robinson, Taj Gibson, Earl Zoll, Jericho Sims, how they are being deployed is that. And so I think the, the thing that I'll drive home before I kick it to you, and we can talk a little bit more about this too, is that 
one of the biggest things that I often hear about Mitchell Robinson is like, if you pair Mitch with a point guard, look out. And I'm not even saying that's wrong per se, but what exactly is Mitchell yeah. Robinson going to be doing that's vastly different, even if you have a point guard? Like, yes, maybe he runs more pick and roll. We know he's a good pick and roll threat. Um, but how many more possessions is he really going to get in pick and roll? What type of offense is he going to be doing? It doesn't seem like there's much more to his game than what the Knicks want him to do, which is being a rim runner. And when you consider the fact that he doesn't really play much offense at the five, when none of these guys do, it's kind of an important factor to consider when extending him and paying him. A couple things. One, uh, just on the very quickly on the tips, but you know, I have to chime in on tips. I do. Uh, and, and I, I'm stealing this point from, uh, actually Fred Katz's predecessor, Mike Vorkanov, who used to cover the Knicks. I'm, Remember, he wrote an article when when Tibbs was hired talking about how the one thing that um, you could you can say about Tibbs, and I think it's even true after two years with the Knicks, is he's generally pretty good at identifying the strengths, the offensive strengths, at least of his personnel and and leaning into those doesn't mean he's the most creative offensive mind. He's one of the least creative offensive minds. But actually, that goes to what I'm saying, which is like he kind of looks at what his the a collection of offensive talent he has. And it's like, OK, what, what can these guys do pretty well already? Let me just figure out a way to, for them to have opportunities to do those things. And like that was very different once upon a time with, you know, Joakim Noah. Joakim Noah had a usage rate one year in the 78th percentile for big men in the league. It was the year that, you know, under Tibbs, he was, I think, finished third or fourth in MVP voting. So I, I think it's. I think it's it, it was mostly like, you know, Tibbs came into the situation. The front office was already here for a little while. They looked at it. They're like, look, we got this guy, Mitchell Robinson. And then that is the other thing I wanted to say, which is that, you know, Mitch's usage is so low. But in terms of like when you brought up what would a, a better point guard do and this and that. The threat of Mitch is already the threat of Mitch lobs specifically into, I think, a lesser extent, his offensive rebounds. That's probably already the best thing the Knicks offense has going for it, you know, and like he may only finish a game with four or five or six shot attempts, but that there there's in all likelihood a vastly larger number of possessions that he impacts. And maybe we'll get to that as we move along, because I do think that that is relevant in the conversation here. Definitely. It 100 percent is. And I think the other thing to consider, too, is. Mitchell Robinson is an unrestricted free agent. Does Mitch want to be in this role moving forward? Because it seems like whenever we see videos of him working out, oftentimes what we see is him shooting. And we know that's just not something the Knicks want him to really do. And the thought process of, well, if Mitch wants, sure, he wants to get paid, but maybe he doesn't want to be in the role that he is confined in, which I still think is the right role for him. It to is be the in. right role. And when you look at like the, the previous season, right? It's, it's pretty much the same thing. Mitchell Robinson was 107th. Maxi Kleber was 108th. Taj Gibson was 109th. Nernzo was 110th. And I believe 111th was PJ Tucker. And we know that PJ Tucker's not a five. He's someone who just parks yeah. in the corner and hits threes. And he's really good at that. Like, there, there's, there's a trend. That's all. And, you know, when you look at Mitch for his four years in the NBA, which transcends, of course, the Leon Rose administration, he's still low usage. Like the highest he ever was, was the 11th percentile for usage. And that was in the 2019-20 season. 
Every other year, it was below the fifth percentile. That's nothing. It, like, it's just not how he's used by anyone. Because I think that teams, or at least the administrations, have recognized he's best in the role that we have him in. And if you grow it further, how does that impact the other players around him? Yeah. Um, well, and by the way, just for anybody listening who may not know specifically what usage rate is, usage rate is specifically what percentage of your team's possessions um, that end in it. Well, sorry, not all of the possessions. It's all the possessions that end in either correct me if I'm wrong, a, a shot attempt or a turnover, right? Pretty much. It, go, so it's like basically of all of the Knicks possessions that when, when Mitchell Robinson was on the floor that ended in a shot attempt or a turnover, he accounted he accounts for roughly 10% of those. So, which is very low for a big man. Exactly. And then, you know, I wanted to also highlight Taj. I, I went back to 2014, 15 for him because that's also when Nerlens Noel came into the league. OKC Taj. I, I remember yes. OKC Taj. Oh yeah. It was uh, a <laughs> bleeding, but it happened. Uh, yeah. And then he went, he was reunited back with uh, Tibbs, but no, I mean, for the most part, this is also proof that the Knicks have taken players who have had like, Taj in 2014-15, 49th percentile. The next year, 28th percentile. The year after that, 56th. Like it, it fluctuates. But then he went from 27th percentile uh, the first year he was a Nick. And then Tibbs comes in and he's first and he's second. And the interesting thing about Taj, of course, is that he's much more of a four than he is a five. But over time, he's kind of become a five, but still yeah. has that shooting stroke. But then you look at Nerlens Noel and, you know, like, Again, he was higher usage when he started. He was the 50th percentile, 61st, 46th, 42nd. And then Dallas uses him as the 11th and 17th by OKC and 24th. And then first percentile two years in a row. And I think the thing to consider is because some of you might be wondering, like, are you really telling me that if DeAndre Ayton said, I want to go to the Knicks, the Knicks would say, uh, no, we don't want you because we only want rim runners. No, I'm not saying that at all. But the Knicks also might have a preference towards paying players who are kind of like one through four and see the drop-off between a player like a Mitchell Robinson, a Nerlens Noel, and a DeAndre Ayton as not significant enough of a difference to really matter in the grand scheme of things. You're obviously getting a better player in DeAndre Ayton. But then if you're also DeAndre Ayton, do you want to look at what the Knicks are doing to bigs and go there? Do you want to be less of a player? And if you're the Knicks, are you using if you're using him less like you'd probably have to pay him a max contract to get him. So uh, are you really going to pay that much for a player who wouldn't be utilized on offense the way he should be? This, that's just kind of the thought process that's been running through my head as the Knicks do think about Mitchell Robinson and a future potentially without him and who would potentially replace him. Uh, and that's why I just, I think this whole conversation revolves around just how the Knicks use their centers. And if we don't pay attention to it, then we just start thinking of like unrealistic options that would just really surprise me. Or if they are realistic, I would just be shocked. We should note, of course, that Tibbs also did coach Carl Anthony Towns, right? And Carl mm-hmm. Anthony Towns was, uh, so the Tibbs first year there was 2016-17. Cat was 25th percentile usage. The next year, interestingly enough, lowest usage of his career, uh, 80th percentile uh, for bigs, 21.0%. A big drop from the previous season, notably what happened in that year, uh, the Wolves got Jimmy Butler. So 4.2% drop in uh, in usage was was pretty notable. The next year, Jimmy Butler goes off the team, 
skyrockets to 27%. And CAT has been around between 26.5 and 28.5% um, ever since. So, like, I, I think if you give, like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns demands a trade to the Knicks tomorrow uh, and they work out a deal and he comes here, I, I think we could be fairly certain that he would he would break this trend. Like they would, they would utilize him. But I think the point that you're driving at is that unless the Knicks have that sort of opportunity where they're, where it's a like, well, duh, you're going to use this guy in this way. Does it make sense to take a, a center who is, who does not have otherworldly skills, you know, or close to otherworldly skills um, and pay big money for that guy? Yes. But also again, I still, it's funny because you think like, well, you're telling me that the Knicks wouldn't want a star like, and no, I'm not saying that, but they also might want to be more selective in how everything's built. Because like, again, you think of Carl Anthony Towns and there are other things that we'll get into, but they're like, well, this yeah, is not a beggar's choosers conversation. Right. Again. <laughs> right. But, but it, it also isn't because you still want to like, you want to be flexible and malleable with how you construct your team, but you also don't want to deviate so far away where if you feel like, um, a big who shoots isn't going to propel you far enough. Um, and then I, I think that can kind of bring us into the, well, I'll just wrap it up with this uh, quickly before we go into the next topic, but I wanted to pinpoint uh, other low usage bigs this past year and, and the year before that. Right. So just I'll rattle off some names, right? Like this is basically from the 29th usage and to where um, Mitchell Robinson would be. Okay. Um, so Jackson Hayes, who's been used as a four, he's, He's just not going to be in, a five in New Orleans. Yeah, he's been a four. Stephen Adams. I mean, he's making big money, but we, you know, he was ill with COVID for some of the time, and he, he did play productively for part of that series. But then you kind of wonder how much does that pay off? Like, if if Stephen Adams hit the open market, would he make what he's making now? He, he wouldn't. Not. No, he wouldn't. But at the same time, again, I think it's worth. So one another thing I just want to throw in here. For anybody wondering, usage rate does not factor in assists, uh, which is like right. it, an interesting little quirk because you usually typically high usage guys often get assists, but it's not factored into the stat. Like Steven uses Steven Adams is a valuable regular season player in part because he does a little playmaking. He like, you know, he's obviously a big, big time offensive rebounder. I agree with you, though. If he was on the open market this year. Would Steven Adams get $10 million? Probably not. He's making, what is he making? 17, 16, something like that. He's making a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got, you know, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard in his prime was a high usage elite player. Now he's he's not that. He's a much lower usage guy. Isaiah Stewart, um, Nick Claxton, Zeke Naji, Clint Capella is like the one guy so far that we're getting to. It's like you could say, well, based on the other things he does, like, yeah, I could see why he's making money, but you also then wonder, is he worth 22, $23 million a year. I don't, that's a, that's a lot of money for him. It, it, it's funny you bring that up. It was a contract that like, I did not like the extension when it was signed. Uh, I think he signed that, that extension. If I recall correctly, he signed it bef not before this season, but before the previous season, or maybe he did no, sign it. Was it before the season. This it was before year. the season. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't love it. Even like, and Atlanta was coming off conference final. So you're like, okay, it's your starting center, you know, and now you look at it and it's like, I don't know. I thought he was always a little bit overpaid because it was that very specific archetype. Exactly. 
And then Keita Bates-Diop, Mason Plumley, Larry Nance Jr., Onyeka Okongwu, Maxi Kleber, Kevin Looney, Dwight Powell, Derek Favors, PJ Tucker, Derek Jones Jr., Kem Birch, Robert Williams, Jared Vanderbilt. So Robert Williams is the interesting name here, obviously, because he got the extension that I think most people would be like, if we could get Mitch for the Robert Williams extension, which is the most he could have he could sign for right now, four for whatever it is, 55. I think most people would do it. And Robert Williams is, a, is in the six percentile for usage. Right. And last year, as we'll see, um, he was a bit higher than that. Actually, considering how he's not even on the list where I started. Oh, no, he's there. He's 27th percentile usage. Yeah. The Celtics have reduced what he's done, and it seems to have been paying off for them as they await game seven and the chance to beat the Bucs. And again, hold on. Without Robert Williams, he has not been here. And there's a very interesting conversation going on right now about whether the Celtics are actually better off. It's going smaller. Alpha Harford obviously is playing the center spot. It just these are the conversations you get into when you talk about these sorts of guys, like how valuable are they? You know, you, you know, there's anyway. a limit. I a hundred percent, you know, again, like a lot of the names that we saw before, uh, some different ones that if off the top of my head, if I'm remembering is, um, you know, Ivica Zubats, uh, Daniel Tice, Xavier Tillman, uh, Jakob Pertle, Marcus Gasol, Patrick Patterson, DeAndre Jordan. We should say this is again the 2020 2021 season. Yes. So if you're if yes. you heard Marcus Gasol and you're like, wait a minute, that guy's out of the league. That's why. yeah, it was the year before. Um, you know, Juan Toscano, Anderson, Grant Williams, Derek Favors, Bismack Biombo, Mike Scott, um, Willie Cauley Stein. These are some other names that just it shows that they are not used highly and how many of these guys are really making a lot of money or were these seasons, you know, how many of them were making 10% of the salary cap? Not a lot. In fact, the vast majority of them were making less than that. And 10% of this year's salary cap for what it's worth is starting at $12.2 million. And, you know, so it's, it's hard because you're applying some of the old salaries and projecting the new one with Mitchell Robinson, but it's just the trail of thought where it's like, Four years, $60 million for Mitch. Why? Like, like, how many players are making anywhere near that money being used? How much Robinson's being used and who are worth it? And yes, I understand that Steven Adams was dealt. You could, you could, I'm not saying it's an albatross to pay Mitchell Robinson. It's, and we'll get into other money stuff later, but it's just a fascinating topic to me because it seems like there might be a limit if the Knicks continue to try to find a player with this archetype. So, Rudy Gobert, just to be very specific, because you, you asked the question just now, what sorts of players have this level of, of usage that are getting paid? And again, Clint Capella, it's also Atlanta. Like Atlanta's going to need to pay a little bit extra to get a guy to stay there. And they did, you know, I would argue overpay him. The Steven Adams contract was, again, he was a. That was an, that extension was an overpay at the time, and like it was looked at when that Memphis trade, the the Memphis New Orleans trade, where they basically flipped. Um, oh my God, his name is escaping me at the moment. Valanciunas, the, yeah, Valanciunas for for Stephen Adams. Like it was understood that Memphis was taking on the worst contract, like not not a great contract. Uh, other than that, everybody that we've just talked about is, you know, making ten percent of the cap or less. So Rudy Gobert, last five years usage rate uh, or the percentile finish, 40th percentile, 38th, 41st, 47th, one year was a little high, and then 40th. So again, he's closer to the median, but he's not 
that much higher than the guys you have on this list. Rudy Gobert is making whatever he is, 37 or $38 million a year. And what did he, what does he need to do to some would argue he, he is not justifying what he's making, but like if you were of the argument that he does justify his, his massive paycheck, it is because he is the very best at the thing that he is great at, which is like, he's a one man top. It used to be a top five defense. And now it's after this year, it's a top 10 defense because Utah just had nothing else around him. Mitchell Robinson is not that. Um, and none of the other guys on this list are in a different context, even that And when I say that, I mean like whatever it is they do, if it's not scoring a lot of points, it elevates their team so high that that in and of itself, plus, you know, they don't take stuff off the table in other areas like that justifies a bigger salary, you know, which is why, again, I'll, I'll go back to Capella again. He's an elite rim runner, really great rim runner. He's not elite in anything else, you know? And so that's why I think even that's, that's an overpay, but we, we don't have to belabor that point. Okay. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's keep going. So that was the usage, right? I, I want to talk about a new thing, right? It's um, John. Have you heard of the F five before? If you ask me what the the F five is, I would probably say a car or a plane. <laughs> so the F five is um, it's a it's the refresh button, and so I think at least uh, oh yeah, there it is, here. right? So the way that the F five kind of um permeated NBA talks was that on the subreddit for the NBA um, F5 season was when you would refresh constantly because so much content was coming in that you were waiting and waiting to see whatever news was relevant. And it's super fun to do for the trade deadline and for um, the draft and free agency, all of that. But that's where the F5 kind of came into play. But so the name of that was used for uh, a sub stack by someone by the name of Owen Phillips. And okay. it's a super data-driven Substack, And he's got this really great article. It's called The Myth of the Stretch Five. 
And basically what he, one of the lines he said was centers take wide open threes because defenses want them to take wide open threes. And then he included a graphic that he created where it basically shows the percentage of threes that are contested. And as you can see, it's like 58 or so percent for Jokic is the highest center that a defense really tries to contest. And it's much lower um, compared to other positions. The, the point being that, again, these teams want centers to shoot because they feel more confident that it is a worse shot for the offense than anyone else on the floor. Generally speaking, this is the Joel Embiid thing. Anytime Joel Embiid takes a three, the center, the, the defense like exhales. It does. And so this, um, this was written for last season. Right. Um, and it, even in that article, the, the conversation is like, look at what happens when Joel Embiid's off the floor. It's actually really fascinating because even though you have like you, you have someone who's not shooting threes and things seem to go pretty well. And it's kind of wondering, like, yes, Joel Embiid can do all these things. Nikola Jokic. I mean, these are two centers who are who went two and one respectively in the MVP voting. And it's a question of not if they're good, not if they're great, they're elite, but just how spacing the floor from a an offensive standpoint works. And this is the thing that's maybe the most fascinating to me. Because listen, this is Owen's opinion. It could be different from other trails of thoughts. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be um, you know, the word of the law. Do you have any idea why Owen stopped writing the F5? Why he stopped <laughs> this guess. newsletter and made it inactive? Because <laughs> he got hired by some team. Got hired by some team. Do you want to know what team that was? Oh, wait a minute. Didn't, is this the guy the Knicks hired? This is the guy the Knicks hired. <laughs> They hired him to the coaching analytics staff. That's great. And I think it's just really fascinating to keep that in mind. Because listen, maybe the, maybe the coaching staff sees it differently. But also, it feels like this is something that they might feel really resonates with their team as they're moving around. And it kind of brings us to the whole stretch five need, right? Like the Knicks need a stretch five. It's something I see a lot. Do they? Like, like we know that the Knicks are becoming very analytics driven. They're one of the best teams in terms of analytics. Um, uh, Seth, uh, Seth Seth Bartnow was even saying that they're one of the most comprehensive teams. They focus on it. And it's kind of like when you look at a lot of the numbers involved with the stretch fives and the talent and who's still there, I don't know if we have the proof that the Knicks do need a stretch five. Maybe they need someone who takes um, fewer shots at the rim, but also Maybe they don't. Maybe that's just something they like. Like then you think about the presence of Julius Randle versus Obi Toppin. And this kind of affects Mitchell Robinson in so many ways, or even any center that they would bring in. Because these are two players who shot the same percentage, especially from deep, right? Mm-hmm. But they feel very different when you actually watch them. Like it, it, the numbers themselves don't tell the story unless you've watched them play and see what they're capable of doing. And like Zion Williamson and Steven Adams, it, it was working. It seems paradoxical, but it was working. Um, But we don't even know if Zion and Jonas Valanciunas will work because Zion wasn't healthy. But that was also the prevailing thought. You can't have Zion space the floor. So let's find a center who does. And, you know, the Pelicans had a miraculous, fun little run. And maybe that's something they can build off of. But in terms of how they can kind of grow from there, it's going to be really interesting to see if maybe even with Zion's skill set, with Steven Adams, with Jonas Valanciunas, Maybe it actually might have made more sense if they didn't change things up. 
I'll turn it back to you, but it, it's just, it's fascinating to me because it's not something that I would have necessarily thought of on my own without this type of information. I, it's tough because I think, well, let me first by, start by saying, I think the, the notion that teams want centers to shoot threes is, is and I, I'm not saying that you're, saying that they always want to, it is an overgeneralization because there are so, like, you do not want to give Nikola Jokic open threes. I don't, I don't, I personally wouldn't if I was a, a defense, maybe there are numbers who that, that suggest that that is a good shot. You see you, that's what you seem to were indicating before. Cause obviously the nuggets are much worse when Nikola Jokic is off the floor. hundred percent. Yeah. But maybe if you would, if you were to tell me that like the points per possession for a Jokic three are the same as the points per possession for like anything else that the nuggets do. Maybe that I could see. Um, I, you know, I think there are definitely exceptions like Maxi Kleber is, has been a stretch five and has been something of a revelation for, for Dallas. I think that's, and that, that is a shot that they are, he needs to take because, you know, in that series, it's like if he's not firing away, then the threat goes away. And I think what the be- the better conversation is and what the more interesting conversation for me is, is what is the value of having that player in there, at least for the regular season? Where teams are going to be like, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so out there. I I at least have to pay attention or I at least have to like honor that player standing behind the arc. Um, And how much does that open up your offense? Uh, I I don't know. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because the the, the notion like, because to me, that's the, if if a team's like going to be interested in Julius Randle or if the Knicks are going to think that Julius Randle could turn around, I do think the notion of like having more spacing around him is a part of that but if like because if it's not that then i just i don't know what else you do with him because if there's someone because here's the here's the other the other part of it and the we should say this part out loud if a center is not a floor spacing center right then they are probably going to be in the dunker spot like centers don't usually exist anywhere else on the floor like they're usually in the corner some of the floor spacing ones are above the arc. If you know, high pick and roll, they'll stay out there or they're in the ducker spot. And if someone's in the ducker spot, it makes it harder to drive. So I, you know, I, I think it's, there's more to this than maybe some of the data would seem to indicate. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, it's not just that, right? Because there's still, there's still the mid range threat. It's just a matter of, but that's there still is. a shot that Mitchell Robinson doesn't like taking, but that's talk about shots that like the data would suggest like, Yes, your center wants to take a 16-footer. Please let your center take a 16-footer. Right. But the, but then the thing with Kleba that I'd push back on is that going into the playoffs, Mavs fans hated him because he couldn't... He, he was just really he, unproductive. He, he had a He's down gotten year. hot at the right yes. time and it's yes. worked out nicely. But And listen, we, we could say, well, what if he didn't? But he has. Yeah. But if he's not making these shots, then what is the value that he's providing it's not going to exceed what he's been able to do right now. Yeah. And so it could be that like, obviously when the Mavs played the jazz, they stretched the floor and it was harder because you got Rudy Gobert onto the perimeter. And then that exploited a lot of different opportunities and they were able to utilize that. But if the jazz have a better perimeter defense, like, like a lot of it was, they also were letting Kleba take the shot because he wasn't 
succeeding. And it it reminds me of that For time of that where series, it was like he wasn't, Miles yeah. Turner was going off against the Knicks this past season. And everything was like, well, why aren't the Knicks adjusting? It's because they're comfortable with that shot because they think the odds are that, it, yes, in this one game, we're getting crushed by it. But if you were to play out this scenario, you know, a thousand times, and you, you live with it, but but it's not a thousand times. It's like he took like eight threes that game or something. He took eight. He, he, really he well. was he was seven. I looked it up recently. He was seven of ten. Yeah, he shot thirty three percent from three on the year. And if someone's going to be a thirty three percent three point shooter on mostly wide open catch and shoot looks, you are going to let that person take a three point shot any time they want to. That was one of I believe either two or three games the entire season. Miles Turner hit more than three threes in the game. I believe it. And yeah. if you're the Knicks. You throw your hands up and say, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, you, the numbers yeah, tell us exactly. we should leave them open. 